Welcome to the Edition Wars podcast, where we take a deep dive into the mechanics and playstyles of all of the editions of our favorite game. We look at what worked, what didn't work, what led to better games and editions, as well as uh, what might not have. And we talk about it all. And in this episode, we are discussing, or I should say, we are continuing our deep dive into the 5th edition Dungeon Master's Guide. And we are on Chapter 7, and we have a wonderful guest to share with you this evening. We have Sage Stafford. Welcome, Sage. What's up? Nice to have you here. Thank you for joining us. Indeed. I'm super, super excited. Excellent. We are excited to have you here as well. And when I say we, I'm talking about myself, Sam Dillon, and my lovely co-host, Brandis Stoddard. Hello, Hello. sir. Yeah. Uh, So tonight we have the longest chapter in the DMG. Yes. And the one that the most people have used. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, probably. Probably. You're right. So normally... The one that even non-DMs are likely to have read. Uh, <laughs> yes, that is a good, good point. point. Yes. Uh, any overarching uh, uh, overall thoughts before we take a, a, a minutia dive? What's this chapter about? It's about charts and tables. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's, it's about fat loot. It is about some fat loot. Uh, bring it on. I love fat loot. <laughs> Excellent. I like fat loot too, and skinny loot, and odd shaped loot, and, and enormous, yeah. enormous piles of coin that yeah. the game will only kind of help you spend. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's a different chapter. Welcome to all size loot piles here, <laughs> inclusive loot. <laughs> <laughs> um. So we begin with a very small segment on types of treasure, which I'm not sure needs to be talked about at all. (laughs) It's quite brief. Uh, It's quite brief. And, you know, explaining what they are is fine. It's fine. Coins, gemstones, art objects, magic items. We're done. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not mind-blowing. The one thing that I actually did find was like, Wow, 50 coins of any type weighs one pound. That is a super useful and relevant fact in many games and situations. Yes, it is. And what's interesting is it is not also listed in the equipment chapter, is it? I don't think it is, right? I don't believe so. Actually, I am going to take issue with this list. I I just discovered I'm going to take issue with this list. This list is violated within the chapter. Because there's a section at the end that says other rewards. It's a really good section, but y'all. You are right. You listed four things. Extending it to seven would not have killed you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Supernatural gifts, marks of prestige, epic boons. What's up? That's hilarious. I had not even thought of that. Like, and one way to make sure no one finds those those sections. <laughs> and the friends we made along the way, the greatest treasure of them all. Of obviously. <laughs> Why is that not listed? I, oh, I, my goodness. I thought that was the main campaign villains are the, are the friends we made along the way. They are, too. <laughs> it depends on the soliloquy, okay? It depends mm-hmm, on the soliloquy. Mm-hmm. Also a treasure. Yes. <laughs> and so then it then it talks about how to use the random uh, treasure tables, which is fine. Okay, um, so, so pop quiz, Sam, do uh-huh. you use random treasure? You took my question. Oh, sorry. 
So, uh, sorry, uh, I retract my question. Sage, ask your question. <laughs> I'd like this stricken from the record, please. No, I was, I was like, I wrote down one of my questions to ask you all was, are you all the uh, the roll for random treasure, or do you make like curated treasure piles for your for your players, or like what is your all like general like mo in terms of dispensing treasure in your games? Because I always think that is such an interesting thing between dms and is such to me one of the like signposts of what your kind of style is as a dm i think is like what how you dispense treasure um mm-hmm. i think tells me a lot about a dm i think that's super true for, for mm-hmm. starters that it is like a very, very much kind of your your rorschach test of who this dm is your, your litmus test kind of deal um i guess rorschach is not the right idea but um <laughs> You know what, Sam? You got your work cut out for you. That's eh, fine. I'm uh, fine with the blot. It's okay. I blame my drink. Um, so anyway, um, like I, I randomize within a much smaller band is what I do, mm. right? So what I will what I'll do if I have a session I'm prepping for a lot, I'll write out twenty parcels of treasure, some of which are a little more. Here's a weird story thing that you find, then treasure qua treasure, um, and sometimes some of those will have randomizers in them. Like you find three d twelve gold coins because I don't know. I feel like rolling dice at the table make players feel good about good rolls or sad about bad rolls. Um, and then when I feel that players should discover something treasureish in the game. I will just pull it from my list of 20 things I wanted to hand out. And I sort of treat it as my goal to burn through as much of that list as possible in the course of the session. Right. Very cool. I like that a lot. So uh, what I do is I, I do use random treasure. I don't roll it during the game like, oh, you just killed an ogre. Let me see what it had on it or let me see what it had in its lair. Uh mm-hmm. But I, I do, I, I'll randomly roll, but then um, I'll do things like, uh, let's say that no one in my party uses a longsword, right? If I, if I happen to roll a magic item and I futzed around and I rolled up a longsword, I'm not going to give them a longsword because no one's going to use it, right? So mm-hmm. I would ch- then change that item to something that's more appropriate to one of the PCs, right? Because I don't, normally when I, in, in my homebrew setting, I don't, it's not the type of setting where there's a magic shop on every corner and, and every blacksmith can create an item and then the town mage can enchant it. And now it's a magic item. You know, it's not, that doesn't work like that in my setting. So um, typically if they get an, a magic item, they're not just going to be able to offload it and sell it to someone and make a whole bunch of loot. And, and then that's the end of it. So if I give them a magic item or some sort of, armor or, or whatnot that they, that I expect them to use or that I might want them to use. It's going to be specific to what their character would, would feel good using, right? It's not going to be a weapon they're not proficient in, or it's not going to be something that offers a benefit that they would never use. You know what I mean? Based on their play style. Um, but also when I, if I roll random loot, sometimes I just roll up random stuff just to see what's there. To, um, and then that stuff is there, but then I'll also throw in something of my own making that I want the the party to have because of the story. 
right? So, so yes, I do, I do randomly roll it, but, um, you know, I, that's not the hundred percent dictation of, you know, that, that doesn't a hundred percent dictate what I provide to the party during the game. Uh, it's more of a guideline and inspiration, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How about you? Uh, for myself, I, oh man, to me, like magic items are like candy. I'm like, you have a magic item. You have a magic <laughs> item. <laughs> and I do like to definitely implant magic items pretty, like fairly early on that are like tailored to each member of my party. And I always try to strive for a way for, uh, as the game progresses, for them to sort of like level up with their characters. Um, Or to give them the opportunity to switch out for something different if their character has a huge sort of uh, shift or change in the way that they play or, you know, God forbid that their character dies and they they have since ruled up a new one. (laughs) Um, But I do also like, especially if, you know, like I recently ran a home campaign where they were in like an 84 room dungeon that like was owned by uh, this like dragon lich. And I was like, well, what kind of like crazy? And I, and so for that, I would just like randomly throw in like, here's like a staff of power um, that's mm-hmm. here in one of these scripts and things. So that like, even though no one could use it, like I knew that when they like got back to civilization again, like these would be potential like quest leads that, or, you know, or they could try and hawk, hawk them off. And that would lead to, a, you know, a whole series of shenanigans as they're trying to sell this like ancient staff, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I'll also note that I I run a very different game if I'm running fifth edition versus a, a different edition. Um, that makes I, sense. I play a lot of old school, and in in old school, uh, in the old, you know, I run Castles and Crusades. I run first edition. I run basic. You know. So here's the thing, though. In in all of those, you get um, XP for your treasure items, right? And so it, mm. it matters mm-hmm. how much you're getting, and it matters if you get a magic item. Uh, who, if someone's going to use that, that person gets the XP, right? And so magic items tend to be a much higher XP. So, you know, you have to, you have to understand how that might affect the game, but it's also really more fun to just have a ton of hijinks and randomly roll some of those things. So I'm much more likely (laughs) to randomly roll and just throw whatever it is out there in, in a more old school style game. And also uh, your, your mentioning of a, of a giant 80 something room dungeon reminded, you know, made me think of this. That also, if I'm running a really heavy dungeon crawl game, of course I want them to get a bunch of loot and, and cause that that's their reward for going in there. So that will mm-hmm. have a much higher amount. Generally speaking, I'm a stingy DM when I run fifth edition. I'm pretty stingy. I give the, the players like one massive haul and it has so many important things in it that they're going to be investigating those things for the rest of the campaign. And otherwise, I'm, I'm really stingy. Yeah, that, that, that tracks the D&D brief for sure. That, that actually did happen for sure in, in your show. Uh, what, like Thinking about Guy Gax's style, I'm pretty sure the intended reward for a lone dungeon crawl was blood, toil, tears, and sweat. Well, of course, and a, a few coins because you you had to get up higher yeah. in level so that you could go deeper into the dungeon. Yeah, that's why those coins are there, not really for you to spend them, right? It's a it's about just getting the XP, right? Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> but in any case, I do think it's interesting, though. I I I think that fifth edition lends itself to either way that you want to go. 
I think that the game can work if you are randomly rolling things. But I think that 5th edition has, um, especially compared to maybe something like Basic, has a much more story-focused beginning, you know? And so... Agreed. I feel like a 5th edition, when you start out, if you're planning a campaign, you're probably... Most GMs are thinking of, ooh, you know, what's my major issue here? What's the major themes? And I want to give them some items that match the theme and tone. And I also want to give them items they're going to find useful. And that's going to become part of the story. So it might be important. Whereas I think more old school style, if it became part of the story, great. If it didn't, eh, I mean... I, I I don't know. I don't know. I, I I feel like I'm not expressing my what I really want to say very well because that doesn't sound right to my ears either. But anyway, I think I get what you're picking up. But like, it's definitely like in older editions, it's definitely a much more sort of like love it or leave it sort of attitude. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I find, especially with people who have started playing since fifth, like have picked up fifth edition and that's their first edition that they're playing are much more like focused on the on the dramatic and like the cinematic feel of holding magic items and what the what that means to the characters and to the story and a lot more thought put in that way versus um like the novelty or the complexity of specific encounters um right. yeah it's like it's a different shift yeah 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 see that's exactly what i mean you explained it and expressed it much better than i did <laughs> Well, that's why I'm here, right? <laughs> exactly. See? Um, and then we, we move on to a series of tables on the next couple of pages that uh, present to us some gemstones and some art objects set into tables uh, based on the overall value of the item. What do you I think about this these? so helpful. I, yeah? I actually, actually love the gemstone tables a lot. Um, and the art objects table, uh, I would actually really like except that I have now seen the the absolute god-tier art object table, uh, and so this one can't help but pale in comparison. Um, Wait, what's the god-tier Yeah, where table? is that? So, so the, the truly wonderful best art object table I've ever seen is what I'm talking about here. It's in the 4th edition Forgotten Realms uh, campaign setting book. Of mm. all things, right? But as you go up in value, things become meaningful lore items. Mm. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah. So like, it's not just, Hey, this thing is um, like plated in six inches of solid gold and also astral diamonds. And also, I don't know, cocaine. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. It, it's, um, you know where this thing came from who it belonged to it has kind of a sense of pedigree like yes that's that that is turning this into something like mm-hmm. now it's not just an art object it's a it's a story with legs on and that's amazing um like there's nothing wrong with this table and obviously you can't generalize lore items across all settings so there's no way they could have made this table do that Right, uh, that that's that, yeah. No, that's nonsensical. But if you want to see what it, an art object table can really be, and, and how it can like like be several cuts above, imitate that in the mm-hmm. forgotten, before you forgotten realms campaign setting. I've I've never seen them do it again, 
before or since. Just wow. I'm definitely going to look that up. The thing that the, that these two pages are missing for me, which I know is far beyond word count and it's probably not <laughs> realistic to have in here, but you know, in the first edition DMG, it has this whole page of, you know, gemstones and what their purported or rumored functions oh, sure. might be. Yeah. Oh, that would be so, so helpful. Yeah, yeah like was. like if it told you, oh, a jade of, you know, or a, a you know, a, an opal, a thousand gold piece value opal. Oh, those are worth a thousand gold pieces because those are rumored to be useful in the production of, you know, um, uh, potions of web spinning or whatever, right? I'm just making it up. But for sure. you right, get the yeah. idea. Like I would like that. And also the other thing, like for example, the Heroes Feast spell in 5th edition <laughs> requires a gem-encrusted bowl worth at least a 1,000 gold piece, pieces, which is consumed upon casting, right? It requires an aneurysm for Mike Shea. It's, it's a, yeah. That's a somatic <laughs> component. This is a nod to him. That's why I'm mentioning that particular. <laughs> but but here's the thing, right? So um, I don't see gem-encrusted bowl on my handy-dandy art object list here. Uh, and, and so I'm making fun, but my point would be like it would be great if some of the items here could be noted as ooh this this is the quality of a spell component right this this mm -hmm. is spell component quality material here or you know what i mean to get people to yeah. just just a few words to connect the idea of hey this art object isn't just in this treasure chapter because it's a fancy piece of art but because the characters can use it that's what and I that's, think this is missing. I, I think that's a, a really strong point. Um, I mean, Agreed. this doesn't get into, oh, look, 500 gold piece diamond. There's your friend back. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, talk, talk about something that where, where price is uh, very much a moving target. <laughs> yeah. This, this gem is good enough to get your friend back. Is it worth 500 gold pieces to you? I bet it's worth more. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know that that's one of those things where I'll always wish that they had found some way to go with you know x many carrots or ounces or whatever mm -hmm. of substance rather than gold piece value. I understand why they did it that way. I just reserve the right to hate it anyway. Right. We don't need to dwell. No, I I, 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 I can dwell enough on my own. I mean, I, I agree, right? Because, you know, I feel like, let's see, are any of these, are any of these gemstones, none of these are repeated, right? I, I can hardly imagine they would be. I mean, you've got sapphires of various colors. That's not really right. a repeat. So, yeah. So, so the, so the issue though is every diamond is worth 5,000 gold pieces, right? I mean, demonstrably not in the rules qua rules. It right. just didn't make it into this D six table. Right, right, and that, and that's and that's what you're. That's where you're going, and that's that's why I, I was going to yeah. say like I agree with you. I wish they went with the carrots and all that, right. or maybe maybe size, right? Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. Um, what does five thousand gold pieces right. of diamond actually right. look like? Right. Is that <laughs> softball size? Is it you know? Is it is it uh, pea size is it right, right uh, is it ping pong ball right like yeah i 
I don't know. And and that's the thing with carrots or size, like that gives somebody maybe a better idea, right? But it's hard. But the thing is that as soon as you introduce that, suddenly everything's way more complex, right? And, and of because course- now, every time you list a gym as a piece of treasure, you have to say what size it is and whether yeah, whether sure. it's flawed or not and, and all of that stuff. And, well, while, and while some people really like that kind of thing, because there is that sort of thing in the first EDMG, and I'm raising my hand because I like that kind of thing, yeah. I totally get that not everybody likes it, right? I totally well, get that. But but even so, like you say they'd have to list flawed, etc. Well, they do anyway because they still list gold piece value in the adventure – Every single yeah, time, right. and it's always, you know, floated somewhere uh, right, above, right. But, below, or near. But the, but the thing value. is, that's still easier, right? It still makes it suddenly very easy. Oh, that's sure. a fifty gold piece, you know, sure. yeah, opal yeah. instead of a five hundred one because, and then you can make up whatever the reason is. It's too small, or right. it's flawed, or it's dirty, or what? Who knows? Whatever, not polished right, or whatever. Yeah. And the the DM has the ability to just make that designation to however they want and they will always know what the estimated value is whereas if you gave them the actual qualities of it and then they had to go to this chapter and open it up and look up on this table and then look up on this table and then do some sort of weird math and then they're going to find out what the gold piece value <laughs> is everybody would say that's way too complex right well, oh yeah for sure like when in the in the larp that we ran uh, there's this whole subsystem for appraisal that involves like uh, two-letter codes and a lookup table to mm-hmm. hide the value from people who don't have the skill and thus aren't allowed to look at the chart. They, they're, <laughs> they're, they aren't issued the chart at a, a check-in. Right. So, yeah. I think the thing that I find the most frustrating, just in general with the DMG, but particularly when it comes to treasure and magic items, is that there isn't really a discussion of, uh, of how to, like, introduce these things to your party of how of like of even a short section on like yeah you know here's like we say diamonds are like 5000 gp but like and and having a discussion of like how that could play out differently if it's just like a giant one that has like really poor quality or if it's like a really small one that's like that's you know absolutely spectacular in quality and the fact that there is like such a lack of discussion and it's it requires uh, like storytellers to read so much in between the lines or to figure th- like these things out like on their own or by talking to other storytellers on the internet. It's kind of like, y'all, it would have only taken like two paragraphs. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and also it all, it kind of leaves a little bit of story out, right? Because for example, it mentions that diamonds can be transparent, transparent, blue, white, canary, pink, brown, or blue. Well, you know what else is brown? Tourmaline. Mm-hmm. And you, you know what else is blue? Sapphires. Sapphires, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And famously. And and cobalt, right? And you know what mm-hmm. you know what's red? Lapis lazuli while we're here. Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah, right. And so like some of these some of these are, looks very much like diamond. Yeah. Exactly. And so like there is actually a storytelling potential there where someone has replaced the queen's brooch with the wrong stone. Yeah. And they just found out. Bit rude. And and there's no praise skill. Your your buddy in town just got accused of that crime and now you're trying to get him out of the dungeon because he's been imprisoned and he's going to be executed when he didn't really do it. Now you got to figure out who did it. Uh, like there's no praise skill. On the other hand, the praise skill was such a 
why is this? <laughs> how how many skill points are you expect me to put into this in third ed? <laughs> <laughs> such listen, such a screw job of a skill. Like in third, oh my god! Like you're not wrong. It does have an application, but also this is why jewel crafters tools are a thing you could be proficient in. Congratulations! Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. Yeah. fair. That's the best I could do. I, I I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. To to be fair, like there's this the way it's laid out right now takes up a page and a half, and that's like the perfect amount of space for this how it is and to add the things that i'm asking for would take at least three more pages so uh, you know but i feel like i feel like sage i agree with you that they, they could throw in two or three more paragraphs and possibly greatly expand this section I agree right and, and it really kind of highlights the the good sides of that first edition dmg gygax as essayist mm-hmm. right where he's writing more persuasively and philosophically than um, sort of pure mechanics mm-hmm. or even mm-hmm. sort of first order didact- didacticism, I guess you'd say. Um, yeah. But yeah, this DMG is not doing that in treasure and uh, it, it's very much assumed that you'll come to your own treasure philosophy as we three clearly have. Uh and, and you know, if you follow the rules very strictly as given, then um, okay, you're going to wind up with treasure in the game. Some. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say that um, I've seen people crunch the numbers of actual treasure you would reasonably get over the course of twenty levels using these rules. You know, if the dice do the most likely things. Mm-hmm. It actually tells us right. Oh, does it? It says on the bottom page 133, over the course of a typical campaign, oh, there you go. a That's party finds there. treasure hoards amounting to seven rolls on the challenge zero to four table, 18 on the five to 10 table, 12 rolls on the 11 to six. So it doesn't actually give a, a number, but you would have to make those rolls. Sure. But yeah, there's a range there that they ex- that's expected, right? Yep. Um, um, but yeah, I don't know. I do, I do love the um, the callback to uh, Lord of the Rings in the um, in the rarity section. <laughs> uh, that's a nice, uh, you know, because it's it, the par- part of the rarity part of the issue. The only basically what they lay out is the only reason to even talk about the rarity of an of an item is that that gives the dungeon master a way to try to determine when or if it's appropriate for a party to have an item of a certain of a certain type in their possession. For example, um, you know, first, first level and higher can have common and uncommon items, but you know, if there's a very rare item, probably you shouldn't have that till you're above 10th level. That's basically what it's saying, but the rare is fifth level or higher. And so it calls out, it says, um, you know, a character doesn't typically find a rare magic item, for example, until around fifth level. That said, rarity shouldn't get in the way of your campaign story. If you want a ring of invisibility to fall into the hands of a first level character, then so be it. No doubt a great story will arise from that event. I'm sure this is fine. <laughs> I actually wrote down that quote. Because <laughs> I thought that was so great. I, lo- mm-hmm. I love the line that that said, rarity shouldn't get in the way of your campaign story. Yeah, um, and I think that is. Uh, I think there there are a lot of like uh, <laughs> pun intended. There are a lot of gems in this chapter uh, <laughs> to take away. 
I see what you did there. Uh, <laughs> Wait, is it um, Father's Day? Because that was like a bad dad joke. Oh, that's my brand. Awesome, <laughs> <laughs> because I love bad puns. <laughs> uh, so I think like. You know, there are a lot of these great snippets in the chapter to take away for storytellers that um that because when you are on the DM side of uh you know of, of the screen, you know, it is the rules are much more fluid in nature and you know giving giving DMs the permission to, you know, flaunt the rules, like you know, you know, throw them to the wind, I think is so important. Um, because mm-hmm. a lot of people take it as Bible and not as a jumping off point that it should be. Right. Well, that's funny that you say that because um, one of the comments that I wrote down to mention as I was reviewing this chapter again was uh, I hadn't, I think, I hadn't grokked it on my first reading of the beginning of this chapter because, you know, after the first reading, then you just go and you just read the items, right? You, you, you never really look at the front matter again, right? But as I was reviewing it again, I realized just how many rules are, you know, are in this these first few pages where they're just kind of talking about, well, here's, you know, what a spell scroll is and here's, you know, what a magic item is and here's what, what happens if you, you know, is it required that you wear an item that or can you just have it in your bag? Like that sort of thing. There are a ton of little rules squirreled away in these first few pages mm-hmm. that I had not thought about. In t- now, I, that's weird to say. I've thought about the rule because I've been running the game for a long time, but but you've internalized it. Uh, yeah, I internalized it already. But just looking at this chapter, it has like I wanted to almost take a highlighter out and say, "Oh, well, there's a rule. There's a rules sentence, right? There's a sentence that could, you know, that mm-hmm. is a rule, and there's a sentence that's a rule. And you know, and while those are peppered throughout this chapter, they are often followed by, but you know, I mean, do what you want. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so the one thing I want to say about magic item rarity before we get too far away from that mm-hmm. is that. Um, I have also seen assertions by, you know, actual Watsi folks that uh, rarity is more than just power level. Uh, it is, it, it, me- it means what the word says, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, right? So like bag of holding is set at the rarity it's set at, not because they're making a statement about its power. How would you make a statement about the power of a bag of holding? It's very, who knows? It's either the thing you need and it's amazing, or it's a little weight off. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Um, but because they actually want to talk about its rarity qua rarity in in an expected typical setting, right? right? Uh, right. And that makes it really weird to talk about prices. It makes it so weird. Yeah. Because oh my god, this price chart drives me. The, the, the price chart hurts my soul. And it isn't oh. that I want the super complex price equations of uh, of third ed or oh, I do. or fourth. Bring those back. Oh, <laughs> uh, I, I don't. I don't know, friend. That's that. That's a that's a that's a long road for me. I don't know. Uh, but these get used for so much that, like, oh, this is also how you craft magic items. Oh no. Oh, oh, sad. It's mm, because establishing them as a range makes it much messier. Mm-hmm. But like the crafting rules, then don't use them as a range. They use them as the highest values in each set. Which I don't know. It 
<sighs> no, 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 sorry. Lowest values need to set. Lowest values, I guess. It's a mess anyway. And what I'm saying is it's a mess. <laughs> and it, Hot mess express. Yep. Mm. So, Sage, just in case you don't know, uh, Brandis, it, it is a passion of his to think about how to form the best possible crafting system in the game. One of these days, man, I am going to make that thing happen and it will be great and people will uh, I'll be hailed and feared. I'll be brought the f- selection of the finest bagels in the land. That's what's going to happen. Um, I look forward to this deeply. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I've, uh, I've been blogging for um, going on 11 years and like the third thing I posted is, I'm going to write a really good crafting system someday. Here's why it's super hard. <laughs> um, but like, I, I wrote crafting systems for an MMO. Um, and like the, the itch that a good crafting system scratches in a video game is what I want to get, but a tabletop game is different. right? Because there's no solo fun for a player that isn't at the expense of the rest of the table. Mm-hmm. So I have yeah. to solve that. Anyway, a little off topic. <laughs> I mean, I was about to go down a rabbit hole. We should probably move on. <laughs> oh, are you kidding? That's what this show is about. Uh, well, Sage, uh, I guess we'll stay out for a few minutes after the end of the episode. And, uh, we'll talk about knocked out. Yeah. You, you just signed me up. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, the, the discussion of buying and selling magic items is going to be an incredibly you know, divisive topic um, and is going to get rehashed in, in Xanathar's um, downtime actions. Right. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, to me, like, I, so I, I first started playing D&D in 3.5, and okay, yeah. one of the greatest joys to me was uh, starting a new character, especially when you got to start, you know, when you had, like, six or seven or maybe even ten levels, and magic item shopping, the magic item compendium, I cannot tell you how many hours I poured over that book and just maximized to the T the spending of my starting gold to make my (laughs) character as badass as humanly possible. That was my thing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a min-maxer. I don't know what to tell you. So when I so when I saw Fifth Ed and I saw this magic item rarity chart with these values, I was like, "Oh, oh, oh no! (laughs) (laughs) I don't." Okay, Um, but I just I I find it really surprising though. The thing that the thing that really shocked me was that despite Fifth Edition being so like high fantasy and high magic in so many regards, with how like basically every subclass is tied to magic. Mm-hmm. Like there are very few subclasses where like you're just really kick ass and super strong. Like mm-hmm. even barbarians are most barbarian subclasses are tied to magic in some way. Sure. Like it's kind of like saying you're tied to superpowers at this point. Yeah, exactly. And so I find I I found it really surprising and that buying and selling magic items like written in the DMG is like not a, is like, we don't, we don't want that. And I was like, that's, 
I was shocked. <laughs> well, it's really funny because um, – so I have two things to say about that. The first one is they say at the bottom of that page, selling magic items is difficult in most D&D worlds, primarily because of the challenge. But then like two paragraphs later, they say in your campaign, magic items might be prevalent enough that adventurers can buy and sell them. Well, which is it? <laughs> well, well – I mean, they're acknowledging that your homebrew yeah. might yeah, yeah. have nothing to do with the expected standard, and they do us the favor of name dropping Eberron. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, like it, Magic Item is economy there because it was built for three point five. Right. And so the second thing I want to say about the whole the whole subclass thing is this is totally off topic, but <laughs> this is actually one of my complaints about Fifth Edition. Mm-hmm. Because that makes it so that I have to heavily restrict options to the players if i want to have a setting that is not high magic and that does not have uh, a a weave of magic everywhere that almost any fantastical pc can pull on and and then have this ultimate power right like i have to severely restrict their choices going into the campaign which i you know i understand that has to be done if i want that and all that but you know, because the default of the game is that pretty much everyone has access to magic, restricting it feels like I'm a Grinch taking things away. Absolutely. I completely agree. And that's, that is absolutely one of my biggest um, sort of, though I do have a great love for 5e overall, mm-hmm. that is definitely one of my biggest gripes with it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, that's, that's kind of off topic, but. Uh, well, and like, it's still lower magic than. Uh, then Fori, because like, if you're not martial power source, it's all magic all the time. There's nothing right. that isn't magic. Right. Don't even mm-hmm. discuss yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I agree with that too. So, so like, yeah. there, it, it's it's a sliding scale very much, and like you couldn't really run low magic third without totally wrecking the math in the face because <laughs> things get rolled squirrely. <laughs> Because yeah. your, your numbers got to go up, or life's bad. Um, so I, I guess I'd say that Tui was the last time that you could really have a conversation about a, about a low magic campaign, and that that's still a little shaky. Yeah, and that and and I'm fully aware that that says more about me and and my preference and my origins in D and D than it says about I'm not I'm not knocking the quality of fifth edition when I make that criticism. No, that is you're, a, you're shaking your cane on your front lawn. I got it. I am. Get off my lawn, you <laughs> damn youngster! <laughs> with, with your plus one swords and your plus one shields before twentieth level, and your magic tattoos. <laughs> You get out of here. I had to walk uphill both ways to get to the dungeon entrance when I was your age. <laughs> and all oh, I had God. was this wand of wonder and this deck of cards. <laughs> they did not help. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Um, anyway, so buying and selling. Anything else about buying and selling? I, I thought it was interesting that they even put that section in here, to be perfectly honest. But I appreciate that it's there. Uh I don't have anything else to to offer on that to speak of. I I am happy to discuss techniques for making buying and selling a little smoother uh, that they don't really take space for here. But mm-hmm. that's it's way outside yeah. scope because I've had it work well in my game. Just you know, I I had to sort of build it myself. 
Yeah, I mean that. The, I think the reason they don't address it here in this chapter is because they did it three pages previously in chapter six, right? That's With fair. the selling a magic item. Yeah, but we're, we're still not we're still not exactly talking about um, technique so much as here's a here's a rule structure that will allow it to happen. Not allow and support are different verbs is what I'm trying to say. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I'm in, I'm in agreement. I'm just saying, I yeah. think that's why they don't even offer no, anything I, else. I, I think, I think right. they feel like they covered it, but there's a nuance there that makes those things totally different. I, I think you're right. Um, so identifying a magic item. Uh, oh my God. This has one of like the most important lines of text in this whole damn book. Yes. Do you, <laughs> do you want to read it to us? <laughs> Go ahead. Um, for, for for one of them is uh, whatever a magic item's appearance, handling the item is enough to give a character a sense of something that is extraordinary about it. I am so tired of DMs telling me that, you know, like, <laughs> this is very clearly a magic item, and they're like, eh, you know, whatever, and you're like, what? <laughs> Yeah. There, did you prepare detect magic? <laughs> did you right. prepare identify? <laughs> can you cast that as a ritual? Oh my god. And then <laughs> a character can spend a short rest focusing on one magic item while hold, while being in physical contact with it. The character learns the properties as well as how to use them, This, which in this tower does not apply towards attunement. Like, Right. Oh my God! It is so easy to i. It is absurdly easy to mm-hmm. identify magic items in fifth edition, and that's why I think it's even more crazy that they don't have a system to buy and sell them. If anyone could tell you what any, literally anyone could tell you what any magic item is by staring at it. <laughs> I, I, I will say that most games I'm in use the more difficult identification variant. Okay, I've never come across that. <laughs> And let me just also say, so there's, I think this is where, this is where that whole magic, magic everywhere in every player class gets in the way of a conception of the world, right? Because saying that any PC can do this is different from saying any commoner in the world at large can do it, but it doesn't make that real distinction here. It just says, oh, anybody handling it could do it. Yeah, it's like it assumes that you're talking about or you're thinking about player characters, but really, if you just take that sense at face value, it means literally anybody, young Timmy walking down the street, going to the market, <laughs> can pick up that dagger and find out it's a nine lives stealer. Okay, um, you know what I mean? <laughs> I have questions about Timmy's future career. Yes, well, he's the next villain in my next com- campaign now, apparently. So, <laughs> oh man, I love the idea of a nine year old who just goes around just like mm, it's a real nice uh hand effect that you've got there it's got three charges so uh, you know. that kid needs a border collie to keep him out of trouble <laughs> timmy's trapped in a dungeon yeah. save him girl let's not ask how lassie knows how to talk so anyway um mm. hmm. <laughs> Because apparently dogs can also identify the magic item if they touch it. <laughs> Use be <beast> speech. <laughs> Have dog will identify. That's right. <laughs> uh, but you get but you get my drift, right? Like the so they yeah. they sort of don't make a distinction there when that distinction could be really important in a game setting. Sure. Um, 
And also, you know, then they they sort of backtrack because then they say, well, um, wearing something or experimenting with it can also offer hints about its properties. Well, if all I have to do is hold it for a while, like, you well, know what I mean? So that sort of so so they're defining experimentation and, and and such so that they can like touch on that in the next paragraph. Oh, sure, yeah, and then they introduce the difficult variant, right? It's not really part of. That unless you're in such a hurry, you can't take a short rest. In which case, cool, I guess. I mean, so for me, one of the most important things is uh, the short rest that you're taking to identify the item is a different short rest than you're taking to attune to the item. Which means, if you want to, this is where this is where the value of the identify spell comes in. Because if you don't want, if you find out that it's something you need, but you can't take two short rests in a row. Oh, sure. So you have to then wait a few hours before you're ready to take another short rest. You're not attuned to that item, so you don't get the benefit of its properties, but you know what they are because you spent that one short rest figuring out what those properties are. I will say that that that, that form of you can take two short rests in a row really, really stretches credibility for me. Um, I, I can't come up with a narrative reason that you can't – like. I mean, that's the rule. It's mechanically the rule, though, right? Am I wrong about that? No, you're correct. Figure out what the item does and then attune it by taking two hours. I, I, it's, it's just... The rule for you doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah, because it's like... From a character perspective, it's nonsense. It, like, rules as written... I, I, it's a different task. Let me do right, the If you task. can sit around for one hour, you can sit around for two hours, right? <laughs> that's what I, I can confirm right. this by the length of an of a Edition Wars episode. <laughs> Yes, that's right. <laughs> we, we can always schedule for one hour and talk for two. That's right. <laughs> I understand what you're saying. The the, the rule is weird. It, it, it's a it's like a suspension of disbelief thing, right? Well, it's also because yeah, it's like all right. Well, we take a short rest, and then well, what if we don't do anything for an hour, but are not technically taking a short rest, like. You could just be standing around or walking in a circle for an hour, and then, like, mechanically, you could take a short rest again. Like, that doesn't make any sense in actual, like, a, like practicality in the game. Yeah. It, anyway. No, I, 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 I hear you. Uh, so, I hear you. I think that's it's a good point. So that does lead us into really talking about attunement, which is the one thing that is really super new in 5th in edition in all of discussing magic items. Um, they wanted to banish the the Christmas tree effect, as they called it at the time. Mm-hmm. Of in the third edition to fourth edition changeover, the the designers started talking about it as Christmas tree effect, mm-hmm. where in all fairness, you need to have an item in every slot, and then start upgrading those items, and you're pretty blinged out because it's a lot of slots. Um, <laughs> a ring on a ring on every finger and toe, an item on every forearm well, and upper arm and well, wrist, well, and it, <laughs> up to up to one ring, up to, up to two rings, or a third if you have a hand of glory. Right. right you know, let's let's get this right. Uh, sorry, um, sorry, but, I, but, I was I was exaggerating on purpose. But, but, but right? your belts and your earrings and, and your and your shirt or robe and your boots and your it's it's a lot is what i'm saying it's a lot like a, a character paper doll in maybe some sort of video game um and then and then fourth edition doesn't actually solve it it, it it's very problem adjusted to me uh, like we talked before 
about how uh, gold becomes sort of this progress bar in your magic items and upgrading them in in third, and that just stays true in fourth. Do you all remember the magic items record sheet from three from from third edition? Because even now in like fifth edition, I find myself pining for that sheet where you know it's got the picture <laughs> of the uh-huh. dude holding the sword and has a line for each you know slot uh-huh. where you could possibly hold a magic <laughs> item with space to write about it. Oh man! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but here in in fifth, you can wear multiple magical belts if that's your life, and that's. Good, I guess, because Lord knows Hennet, the third, the third ed sorcerer, iconic, was going to wear some belts. He, that dude is going to wear some damn belts. Look, I think he was just into leather straps, but that's another topic. I, uh, <laughs> my goodness, someone with high charisma and magic became a leather daddy? Weird. <laughs> Weird, I say. That never happens. Yeah, never, not at all. But I mean, the thing is, like, so the attunement thing also is you can only ever attune to three things, period. You're done. I like that rule. I think that's a very reasonable rule. I think it is because there are lots of magic items that don't require attunement. Yep. So it doesn't mean that you can only ever have three items. It just means you can only ever have three items that are powerful slash unique enough to require attunement. Yep. And that remains a creative way to screw people with two up and fighting. <laughs> true. Yes, it is true. That is true. Uh, or another way that uh, fighting with a great sword is better than fighting with a sword and shield. Mm-hmm. Just throwing that mm. out there, folks. <laughs> I don't know. I'm a, I'm a, I, my magic items that I always desire for are like sweet armor, a sweet weapon. And like, that's it. I'm a simple man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, like, uh, it's been it's been weird because like as I was talking about, I, I make these lists of magic items, and uh, I, I don't always have someone in mind they're going to go to, and it just keeps turning out that whenever I don't have someone in mind they're going to go to, is really good for a monk, and so the monk in our game is just the most stacked on magic items. It's not okay. I think the other <laughs> players are going to do some violence to either the monk or me. I don't know. Uh, but that dude has some really kick. And it's just, oh, wow, uh, he doesn't have to have a magic weapon, except that when a magic spear shows up, it's only good for one character, the mm. monk, mm-hmm. whose damage die increases with it. Congratulations. <laughs> anyway, I actually really like attunement rules, I, I will say. I think that overall they're they're good. I think that it would be nice if they had a little bit more sense of cosmology underpinning them, um, mm. and they they felt a little less. Uh, I'm here to be to be a game balance mechanic, but I don't actually care. I I, I got to be honest. I don't care that much. <laughs> How do you feel about cursed items and attunement and identification? I'm uh, I think it. Uh, uh... I think that identify failing to reveal the curse is kind of pants. I don't like that. Um, that that frustrates me. I do like that because uh, because a curse is literally listed as a property. That's and true. So this becomes a super easy rule to forget. So that bugs me. Yeah, I wish I I wish it had said uh, in where it says you know you can spend an hour identifying it. I wish it said in that paragraph, except for curses. Yep, mm-hmm. because 
I yeah, I I forget that all the time. Yeah. And the other thing is that I think kind of your uh, Berserker Axe, Spear of Backbiting kind of uh, cursed items are the least interesting of available curses. A cursed item that is 100% bad for you is just sort of boring. I don't right. like it. It's it's very, I guess we'll solve this with a third level spell at our earliest convenience. Mm-hmm. No. Um a really cool cursed item uh, is super good for you and super bad for you at the same time. Right. And you will mm-hmm. know it when you choose to use it. Right. So the sort of Zariel I think is, it was really good for you and really bad for you. And that's right. great. Um, yeah. I actually uh, just caught your, uh, your discussion on sentient items in D and D brief, Sam. Um, oh Yeah. And yeah, you know, interesting discussion. I will say that uh, I actually come from a gaming community where losing some agency to a sentient magic item is a pretty good time, mm-hmm. and like it's been a, a major element of the the games that we've played. So I'm pretty in favor of that, and that may make me an outlier, and that's okay. The thing is that I'm in favor of it in in pre third edition games okay but not in fifth edition i i never really i I like sentient items in fourth edition um but and i because i like the concordance the way concordance is done but i feel like in fifth edition because it's so story focused and everybody kind of makes their character and has a story for that character that oh i don't agree with that at all this has been my experience with fifth edition players. Oh, so man. that's what I, you know, yeah. so for me, it's sort of like, I don't want to take that agency away. You are blessed. I, I, huh. Okay. I like, that's just, I don't know. I think, um, well, what about that sentence is, do you disagree with? I, 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 th- I think, I think as, as a player, my agency is absolute is just not okay. I, I think that people have taken that too far. Because bad things are going to happen that you've only tacitly agreed to by agreeing to play. And mm-hmm. you just have to be ready for bad things to happen, is how I feel. Like, And, and sometimes that, that means you negotiate with your magic item to see if you can do the thing you want to do. And sometimes you lose, because setbacks happen. Um, I don't know. That that's That's my take. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair... And, you know, the funny thing is, like, I'm such a softy in 5th edition... <laughs> like I, I just feel like because the game, the way that I, the way that I soak in the rules and the way that I've interacted with players over the years, I end up being a super softy, and and I'm not like that when I run an old school game, mm-hmm. because the you know if the item is cursed and you're stupid enough to put it on and, and without identifying it, knowing that it has some kind of dreamer on it, well then you deserve whatever effect of the curse that you get, right? Sure. Oh yeah. But in fifth edition, I just feel like the 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 I don't know. To to me, the tone of the game is just different. And and I'm I'm fully aware this is just that's not in the rules anywhere. It's just a me thing, right? But sure. it's just how it ends up happening. Sure. I mean, th- th- that's fine. Um, just like I don't know. Um, I'm I'm I guess I'm blessed with a player community that was very shaped by. Like the last, oh, it sure is 30 years of gaming. Oh, oh no, we're old. 
Um, <laughs> and like a real willingness to let narrative go where it wanted to go. And that was going to involve bad things happening, but things weren't bad all the time. So like, sure. You have some major like drawback going on in your character's life, but you're still enjoying other things and you're getting other people to help you with it. So something horrible is happening is also a lot of attention and attention feels good. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't yeah. know. That, that's, that's where I feel like we're coming from. I think, I mean, I think that's definitely makes for a really great session zero topic between the storyteller sure. and their party is like, you know, what uh, talking through like what, things might be acceptable or completely unacceptable, unacceptable, like, you know, especially in term, you know, in the game where mind control is a very real possibility um, mm-hmm, and, stuff sure. like, and, and stuff like that. And, you know, cause agency can, and having that like mess with can be definitely a very like triggering experience. Um, but, you know, we're playing a game where the point is to overcome challenges in order to become better and stronger. And so, of course, everyone in their character should expect challenges um, and, you know, and, for- and forces at play and everything. But, yeah. It isn't at all that I am into, like, rejecting someone's boundaries. It's that, like, a lot of the games that were going on are 60 to 100 player LARPs. So, like one player's boundaries have to be carved out in a very careful way because they're just going to go engage with emergent content. The, the, the plot committee can only do so much to control what they're going to run into, but we can say, hey, you're super not okay with uh, mind control magic. At any time you want, when you would otherwise receive a mind control effect, you can take it as a death instead. And the player in question was cool with that. Mm-hmm. Right, it it sounds harsh to say it, but a death is pretty recoverable. If it's going to be better for you than taking a mind control effect, thumbs up, game on. Yeah, I mean, so I'm I'm not I have no experience with LARPing at all, so that that doesn't like go into my conception of the game. But like for me, I kind of feel like mind control effects the same way that I feel a little bit about like the madness tables. Right, sure. where, where yeah. some of those I would not want to inflict on some of the players that I've had, right? Like, like how you know I can't inflict uh, suicidal tendencies on a player at my table who I know who's recently dealt with suicide amongst their friends or family. Right. Oh, for sure. Like, for sure. And and I'm not saying that you would do that, but I'm just saying like, but but there's a lot. Of, and so that's an example because I know about that event in that person's life. But the thing is, there are also things that I might not know about a player where anything on some of those madness tables. Oh, 100%. Some of those things are fairly benign, but those things. On, and so I kind of feel the same way about player agency. Like that's sort of the tone that has shifted for me in fifth is that I am really sensitive about player agency. And so when I create a sentient weapon or whatnot, and I mean, I don't, Brandis, I haven't listened to that discussion that was just released for a while. So I don't really remember exactly what I said on there, but, but basically for me, like I'm like, I, I can have a sentient weapon, but they're sort of different in my world because 
they won't take over a player, a PC, and destroy their agency. Sure. Right? They might try to affect it. They might try to convince it. They might do something, but they will never directly oppose the player's agency. They might decide to leave because the player, the PC, is the player's not having the PC do what the item requires for its existence. But sure. Mm-hmm. Right. And that makes sense. Yeah, it's not going to take over that person. So Yeah, it's just the Elric of Melamine stories by Moorcock were mm-hmm. pretty formative for me. Um, like Not the most central to my identity or anything, but Elric and Stormbringer are pretty rad. Mm-hmm. If someone wanted to offer me that kind of experience in a tabletop game and isn't going to make me go learn to run or play Stormbringer, uh, then maybe I'm into that. <laughs> Right, because sorry, Chaosium. Also, no. Um, uh, just, I, I absolutely agree, though, that it's another of your your very good session zero topics. Or if you don't discuss it in session zero, start of session topics when you think it might come up in a session or two. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, session when I started my current campaign, session zeros were not nearly as common because it was 2012. So. Yeah. Uh, when something comes up, like I, I want to have a little side conversation with the players and and make sure it's cool, you know. I, I, I yeah. do absolutely agree with that. Just um, assuming we're not talking about you know someone having really strong personal feelings about it, my default is yeah, it's basically okay. It's basically okay. Like bad things happen to your character. Like oh, my character's like Anthrop for a while, and some NPCs died. Well, that's terrible, and I hate that. But I'll try to fix it now. Is is my feeling. You know? Yeah, no, for sure. Well, also, notably in this magic item section, they don't even talk about sentient items. Like, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's going to take us a while to get there. It's Yeah, I think that's at the end, right? Is that at the end or is it in a later chapter? Oh, I, I think it's I think it's toward the end. I think you're right. Yeah, it's on page 214. Oh. See, and again, they didn't put that in the category of magic items, right? Of, well, of the types, right? Because all sentient magic items are swords, don't you know that? That's not true. It sure is in first ed, right? <laughs> they must be swords. Um, yeah, and like specifically in one of the LARPs that we played, there was a world rule that every magic weapon was sentient. Magic weapons were insanely rare. Every magic weapon was sentient. They were all super bad for you. They were super, super bad. Like one was well, sorry, they're all bad for you in different ways. One just really attracted all of the settings orcs to you to kill you and take the swords. That's how they were bad for you. <laughs> that is a great curse. It was it was real cool. Uh, and, and the others were bad for you in a much more like, uh, yeah, you totally might lose control under the wrong circumstance or at least have to call a bunch of resists if you have, have had your mind protected to not be controlled for a while. Anyway, Way off topic. <laughs> but so, so cursed. So, so here's the thing, right? So, so there's, there's the idea of a cursed item and then there's the way that the rules intersect yeah. with it. Right. So by the rules, attuning to it or identifying it does not tell you that it's cursed and attuning to it is required to learn that it's cursed, but then you can't deattune to it because that's why it, that's part of the curse is that you can't just willingly un- unattune yourself. Mm-hmm. So the question is, and, and, and it says, what, where is that? It says in here, you know, um, that 
the uh, identifying most methods of identifying them, including the identify spell, fail to reveal a curse, but the lore might hint at it. Um, so are they assuming that your identify is giving all the lore of that weapon or that item? Or are they um, assuming that if you found the item, you would research the lore on it before you attuned well, to it? The, the Identify spell definitely doesn't teach you lore at all. Right, exactly. That, I know this. That's my at, point. <laughs> I, looked, I looked it up like three days ago to be absolutely sure. Uh, it doesn't it touch lore in any way. So legend lore, <laughs> which is... A seventh level spell? Right. A, a touch higher level, one feels. Um, <laughs> that's rough, buddy. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I really think if you're going to pass that rule, maybe some library use checks might be in mind. Uh, <laughs> mm. Well, I think, I think if, to me, it sounds like the intention and like, I don't know, maybe this is just because it's, it's how it's been played out in games for me. I feel like the intention with that section right there is that after you spend your hour identifying the magic item and what it does, or you, if, you know, if you have the wizard, who has the identify spell, then presumably then they're also going to be like, oh, this is a plus one long sword. And if by looking at it, you know, it has a certain like a look about it. I would like to make an arcana check to see if like I can recall anything of note about swords such as these. I think it's what their kind of intention. Yes. When you say it's the sword of costs (laughs) and everybody goes, ah, is it? (laughs) Oh man. That 100% showed up in uh, a game I played. Uh, we, we were fifth level, and we came across the Sword of Kaas and the Hand of Vecna. Oh. It was a mess. It was a bad time. I just finished a home campaign where it ended like the last session was where they found the Sword of Kaas and the Hand of Vecna. Outstanding. <laughs> the nice. Hand and Eye. Yep. Yeah. Very nice. Nice. Excellent. All right. So... Uh, I think that takes us into magic item categories mm-hmm. about which I have extremely little to say, except that um, wondrous items uh, carries even more of the weight in, in fifth than it did in every previous edition um, because belts aren't, aren't their own thing anymore and boots aren't their own thing anymore and so on. Um, I, there are some, uh, oh, I guess that's true, isn't it? Yeah, there's some rules minutiae in the um, in the scroll section here, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So again, little rules peppered throughout about yep. you know whether you can act, whether in, just anyone can. Again, little Timmy walking down the street finds a rolled up piece of paper and turn opens it up and starts reading it, and suddenly you know has fireballed Fire town hall. <laughs> Damn it! Who taught Timmy how to read? Anyway, hey, he's like you didn't say. I prepared explosive runes today. <laughs> We're gonna need another Timmy. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. Wondrous items it does make them uh, different. It's it's kind of it's just the catch-all category, right? Mm-hmm. Right. If it's not in a previous category but like rod staffs and wands are far less separate now than ever before mm-hmm. yeah i want to know why they're different things uh i mean the the answer is legacy and that's it right uh-huh. there is no yeah. reason that isn't legacy uh and the legacy was really muddied 
by early third to say nothing of of fourth and fifth, right? Um, yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Because I really think that by 3.0, they had no idea why those were separate categories. But by God, they stuck to it. <laughs> Maybe in 6th edition, it'll be squished down. That could happen. Could happen. You, you know? Anyway, um, like there was there was just this whole... Like, like you remember uh, the, the different crafting feats, mm-hmm. right? Oh, yeah. Craft, craft wand at 5th, craft rod at... Ninth and craft staff at whenever the hell you got craft staff. Um, <laughs> uh, because because you have to be a higher level to make a larger stick. Uh, yeah. Well, well, so because wands actually were a little bit different there. Uh, mm-hmm. They were always just one spell, I believe. Oh, uh, as opposed yes. to recharge, and, and they had yeah, and they had a set number of charges, a set number of charges, and a. Um, a set DC, whereas staves very importantly used your casting DC, which mm. was a huge help. Mm-hmm. So it was much more like I spend charges to cast it myself and not spend a spell slot, which is amazing because suddenly all of your feats that crank up your spell DC and screw the monsters mm-hmm. right in the face are awesome right. again. <laughs> uh, yeah, J- just for you, Sage. <laughs> have a little trip down memory lane like we're old friends and not people who met at the start of this episode <laughs> oh I, like there are uh, yeah there are definitely a lot of neat little rules in this section though with the different magic categories like potions just a taste of a potion will will is enough to tell you what a potion does so it's like a little quick identify um, without mm-hmm. gaining or suffering any bet like uh, any effects and I think that's really important. <laughs> but, but but I still have this this visual of Gygax wagging his finger. Uh oh uh, uh, when I see the uh, variant mixing potions table. That right. clash yeah. the, the classic potion miscability table from first ed. Oh my god. Love right. it. Well so and here's the thing is that this potion miscibility table is almost exactly from the one in DMG. Almost <laughs> Not a coincidence. exactly. I like Not it. a coincidence. So rude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and scroll mishaps um, are, are very much in, in the similar vein of, like, uh, do you want to screw your players just a little? Go for it. Well, Go for it, buddy. Well, for, for a treat. Here's the thing, though. The thing I don't like about this table Which is one? that uh, the, the scroll mishap okay, table. Okay. I, I love the table, right? But the reason I, I don't like it the way it's in this book is that in the scroll section immediately preceding that table, it says nothing about scrolls, about a spell not going off correctly. I mean, it literally ends that little section with, unless the scroll's description says otherwise, any creature that can understand a written language can read the script on a scroll and attempt to activate it. Hold on. That, that's for scrolls, not spell scrolls. Spell scrolls are a specific case of scrolls. That's the problem. Scrolls in general include both spell scrolls and scrolls of protection, which are totally different and are not spells. <sighs> okay, yeah, you're correct. That is correct. I am technically correct. The best kind of correct. And annoying. That's yes, what it's awful. Funny, but it's absolutely That is yeah. so ridiculous. You're absolutely right. It, it even says that in the two paragraphs above. Um, yes, you're right. 
I'm not, I'm not, I'm not defending it. It's just garbage. Now I'm more annoyed about the paragraphs than I, the table's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, was yeah. just going to say the table has no context because they didn't say it. Right. Yeah. And so, but th- my point actually still stands because I literally just read this whole thing, yes. this section, and I had not caught that, that they're making a specific distinction. Yep. Right. And, and so you- therefore the scroll mishap is, is, you know, I mean, the thing is, but the thing is that the, yeah, anyway, whatever. Yeah. I, I feel you, man. I feel you. Well, and you've got to jump down to uh, spell scroll on page 200 to like understand what tries and fails means in context. Right. Right. The, the, that's the, like, it's separated by mm-hmm. seriously 60 pages, the context of that sentence. Congratulations. That is not awesome. Also says something about the size of this damn chapter. Uh, it does, yes, because <laughs> yeah. page two hundred is not the end. It, it is. It's a beast. Yeah, yeah. It's in the um, middle. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, like, um, so so wearing and wielding items is kind of doing what it says in the tin for the most part. There's not like uh, paired items is nice to include, so you don't. Run into some jerk DM mm-hmm. making you attune both gauntlets right. separately. I love the I love the example they give too. Right? Imagine the the guy with the boot of striding on one foot <laughs> and, the, and the and the boot of Evelyn coming on the other. Yep. <laughs> Trying to convince his DM it's going to work. Uh, <laughs> you know it's happened. Well, don't you love the idea of the missing sock of uh, magic boots? <laughs> right? I, right i've got one i've got one left boot of elven kind of one left boot of striding and springing <laughs> that's right yeah. cool yeah. there's a pile of mismatched boots somewhere right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know that would happen yeah you know that would happen it's so rude and i love it <laughs> you know the, the thing is they give permission to uh, for example uh, when it talks about multiple items it says you can make exceptions a character might be able to wear a circlet under a helmet or to layer two cloaks. So, you know, and the thing is that this gives permission to allow a PC to wear two cloaks if they want to. What it doesn't give permission is they can wear five cloaks and they're attuned to them all because the right. attunement <laughs> rules still apply. So yep. even if they want to attune to three cloaks, that's all they're going to get, right? Well, and they right. can't attune and to it, any other magic items. It certainly supercharges the value of non-attunement items. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just imagining someone attuned to three cloaks. Like, what? What does that character look like? I'm so invested in this now. <laughs> <laughs> look, look. They got told to dress in layers because they were going to uh, Icewind Dale. They're from San Francisco. Yeah. Right. <laughs> No, no, they don't even have to be. They've one of them is a cloak of billowing, so it just billows behind them as they oh, walk. Wow. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> What's the best item in the game, and why is it a cloak of billowing? <laughs> um, so, so right, uh, I do like magic item formulas to add some kind of requirement or step along mm-hmm. the way of creating magic items. This is not a sufficient implementation but it's a fig leaf and I'll take it. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's something that I'm working with and the, the one player who's serious about crafting in, uh, in my campaign. Once I don't recharge, uh, does give me some, some nasty uh, third ed flashbacks of like all healings is through a wand of kill wounds. Yep. Why would you ever heal any other way? 
it might cost a spell slot to hell with that. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, again, uh, what the sidebars and tables are doing and what a lot of the text in here is doing is trying to give permission, right? It's giving permission to the DM to run any campaign they envision. And so if they have a campaign that where they, wherein they're envisioning magic working very differently, they can still do that and apply the basics of the magic item rules, right? And so I appreciate how they've sort of spelled things out in here for the most part. Yep. Yeah, agreed. I also like where they talk about how you should add distinctiveness to a magic item, right? Like a generic plus one longsword okay, that's fine, but you might want to make that a much more flavorful discovery. And then it kind of asks you some questions to get your brain working, which leads us to the next two pages, which are a bunch of, yeah. That's where where I was headed. I love these pages. Mm -hmm. They are so weird and cool. I am (laughs) real into them. Um, I think I wish a little bit that sort of uh, they were – more evened out on low-end properties for uh, a lot of these different things because little quirky, mostly beneficial properties are really hard to design well Mm -hmm. uh, without getting into, you have a plus one to this one task. Uh, no. Um, But like uh, what minor property does it have is a great table. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of my wife's favorite magic items I've ever given her um, is uh, Guardian. Yeah, the, uh, number six Guardian. She has Guardian armor, and it's just plus one stud leather with Guardian, and she's crazy about it. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Victory is mine. I mean, and so some of these are, are nice, just flavorful pieces. Like, for example, uh, the dragon on the who created it or, or was intended to use it. Number six, dragon. This item is made from scales and talons shed by a dragon. Perhaps it incorporates precious metals and gems from the dragon's hoard. It grows slightly warm when within 120 feet of a dragon. Uh, that's awesome. Yep. Yeah, I love that. Right? Because the only person who, who knows that is the person holding that sword, right? It doesn't shine light necessarily it doesn't like make a big loud klaxon when a dragon is nearby right it just starts getting warm and of course it's obviously made from the scales so there you go mm-hmm. like that is just really cool you know well and the the like the sensory notes like uh undead weapons are cold to the touch no weapons involve uh irrelevant gears mm-hmm. and pistons <laughs> and like it's a steampunk weapon. That's beautiful. Yeah, you bolted right. some gears on it. It's great. <laughs> no goddamn function, but it's great. Um, and, and like um, elemental air, if it's made of fabric, fabric is diaphanous. Otherwise, feels hollow and half normal weight. Mm-hmm. Great. Yes, I would honestly take three more tables like this. They'd be hard to right. write because you got to keep coming with more stuff. But mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. give me like, the weird settings of your culture and how their uh, of your setting and, and how they're like uh, carving out space so that, well, uh, we know that stuff from this period in this country is all like this. Right. Cool. All right. right. Well, now we know how long ago this dungeon was uh, built because it's like this. Right. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. perfect. Yep. Exactly. Go archaeology plot. Go. Um <laughs> 
And I mean, details from history, yes, sign me up. Again, I would I would buy a book of just these four tables uh, iterated a hundred times. It would be fun. Mm-hmm. Don't make me write it. Ooh, that sounds like a fun book to write. Oh, it sure does, doesn't it? Uh, just get a lot of people because, man, when you have to do it the 50th time, your brain is toast. Well, and the thing is, it's not something that can necessarily be sat down and written over the course of just a few days, right? Like, even though it seems like, oh, a few tables, that's easy, except you're going to burn out and you need time to refresh and have new ideas. Otherwise, everybody reading the book is going to think, well, this table is just like the table five pages ago, you know? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) It's literally part of my job working for the MMO, right? Yep. you know, we have these guns. They're in a progression. I need to stat and name and give them character. Ah, uh, right. <laughs> so many guns. So many guns. <laughs> That's horrible. It's a gun. It shoots. Mm-hmm. Shooty, shooty, bangy, bang. Okay. Oh. This one can also throw grenades. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it was for that that it was paid far below industry standard. Wait. <laughs> Then we get into just your your random tables for rolling, you know, the fat loots. And I love a good mm-hmm. treasure table. Um, these do have some expansibility problems for obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Like there's not really a lot of inherent handling for, um, you know, okay, now use uh, now you know to go look at this other treasure table to get the, the magic items out of Tasha's, for example. And that's that's hard to do well, so I don't blame them. Obviously, those books didn't exist when this was written, so whatever. But um, well, they could have gotten in their TARDIS and gone, and then okay, they could change it. Fair. There have been enough printings of this DMG by now; they could change it. Is what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> They're on uh, printing what, like seventy-eight? Jesus, this thing's probably sold so many copies. Are they really? Holy! Uh, oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm making that number up. Uh, like sixty-three uh, percent of all statistics, Sam. Yes, that's right. <laughs> um, and so then it goes from the actual tables on to the descriptions of the actual items. And the only thing that I necessarily have in my head to say about this, I'm not, in other words, I, if you all want to talk about them, it's fine. But I don't necessarily want to go over every item. But I do want to point out that some of the items in this book go right back to 1974. For oh, sure, yeah. they do. I mean, when you look at the the original edition, you find you know boots of speed and the helm of telepathy and gauntlets of ogre power and a mirror of life trapping and you know uh, when you look at the the Greyhawk supplement from 1975, you find the rod of lordly might and the rod of rulership and the staff of striking and mm-hmm. you know um, a whole bunch of other things. Greyhawk is my favorite setting. Yeah. I think what I would say is that at this point, in a lot of ways, magic items and spells are some of the big things that individuate D&D from generic fantasy, quad-generic fantasy, right? Mm -hmm. And so when someone is coming along and wants to make a dungeon-crawling game, they start doing renames and reskins of like classic D&D magic items because they know what they're referencing. Uh, But like... The apparatus of Qualish is this weird ass item that tells you something about the weirdness of D and D because it's been in every edition and will continue to be in every edition uh, until the world <laughs> burns down, uh, however long that may be. But like, 
it hasn't really changed at all. And it doesn't have a whole ton of like uh, mythic legacy. Its mythic legacy is just D and D. It it it's, it becomes about D and D doing D and D rather than um, modeling like what's going on in genre fiction or whatever. And mm. that that's interesting to me. And also, uh, like the deck of many things is this item with like instant cachet for an enormous number of D and D players, mm-hmm. right? Oh yeah. Um, enough that like you could hear people pucker when Vox Machina got a deck of many things mm-hmm. in in that campaign, <laughs> like and and it created disasters, beautiful horrible disasters, exactly mm-hmm. as the deck was always intended to do. And you know, I, I guess my thing about this is, um, it's amazing how closely Fifth Edition hues to the first couple of editions, right? To, to OE in, in the terms of uh, when it was an item from the original edition, like the bag of tricks or the bag of beans, right? Or the jug of alchemy or to first edition, if it was a first introduced in the first edition DMG, like your cubic gate, your Darren's instant fortress. Uh, some of these are almost word for <laughs> word, right? Like, yeah. I mean, and, but you know, if you, if you look for them in fourth edition or you look for them in third edition, because fourth was such a different edition, you, you, you're going to get something a little bit different for each of those items. Yep. And if you look in third edition, because it was so mechanically particular, you're going to get something slightly different. Yep. Right. Uh, very yeah. much the same feeling because they did a good job when they would take some of those iconic items, but right. still very yeah. different. You know. Well, right. It's, it's, it's a natural language question. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's uh, logic versus syntax, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. So so yeah, like there's just some beautiful magic item art in here in this section. I that's mm-hmm. what I that's what always gets. Yeah, me. The, the art of fifth edition really really sings, and these 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 small piecework items are really great. Like I really love the folding boat this time around. It's really cool. <laughs> yeah, um, and the frost brand is is a real beauty. Yep. And we're going to be at the. We could page through the, this all night and not get to the end of it. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> it I mean it's like you know. But like, I'm always happy to see a good Holy Avenger, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. It's it's one of the few things where like by picking a class, you know what your epic item is. You know what you're chasing. You may never mm-hmm. get there, and that's still kind of okay. But man, I, I don't think too many people take the paladin class without thinking holy avenger be nice <laughs> <laughs> absolutely i for me it's not even a specific item it's that uh, i like the variety that they show in the art you know no two helmets look the same no two swords look the same no two pendants are formed the same no two quivers and arrows are set you know and while that sounds so obvious right like well of course but it's not obvious because sometimes there would be only one representation of a sword in yep. a book mm-hmm. and, and in in fourth i think they were pulling from a, a different pool of uh artists and styles mm-hmm. that right. Like things were more similar, mm-hmm, right. right? Right, and so the the variety here does really jump out at you. Well, and one of the things that it does, and that I love about 
that I love about this art is the, for example, the rings on pages 190, 191. Oh yeah, that's what I'm looking at. And then the next two. I I love just the difference in rings and the idea that the ring itself, based on its design, could kind of show you maybe some of its properties without even... Mm -hmm doing anything to it just looking at it and seeing oh it has a feather on it or oh it has an image of a brain or oh it has you know a footprint or something you know it can tell you something about it right and i love that because i love that i that's very old school to me where okay well you can't just identify that by touching it for an hour so you have to try to figure out if you want to put that thing on just based on what it looks like now i will say my single favorite piece of art hands down no contest is the the full page on uh, 186 of the portable hole? Oh yes, it is <laughs> so good. So yeah. choice. Isn't that great? Yeah. Like, there's yeah. a lot of great stuff here. Don't get me wrong, but with that and oh god, the full page alchemy set on um, 215. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness! Just the level of detail in that alchemy, um, uh, like curio shop look, is incredible. Just you could you could go through every square inch of that and find something cool to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, weird to see Moonblades come into the the core book. Uh, sorry, I jumped ahead to senti- sample sentient <laughs> items, but that's weird because uh, I was paging through and just hit that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, those are the examples, right? It gives you Black Razor, Moonblade, Wave, and Whelm, right? So let's talk about sentient items. Unless there is anything that anybody wants to particularly point out about any individual item. Oh man! Uh, For, like, as far as items, where like when I take a class, I think about like, ooh, I'm level twenty, and like I'm this is what I'm wearing. Uh, one of those items for me is the robes of the the Arc Magi. Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. Ninety five. Mm-hmm. Just sure. looking at that art and then seeing that description, I'm like, oh. So good. <laughs> that could be me someday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's it's a it's a very good point. Those those robes scream, kill me first, you're in danger. <laughs> <laughs> kill this guy. <laughs> all the yeah, all the wand art, so cool. Yeah, they did they did a really super nice job with the, the variability of these. It's that's us. Fantastic. That's us. An art podcast. Yep. Yep. I mean, we did this. We, we do this, right? Like, because it, it does matter, right? It does matter. No, it does. Um, it, it it does speak to the quality of the book, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, just caring enough to like really help you visualize all this stuff is meaningful right. as you're reading it. No, mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Well, and and make no mistake, like some of that has to do with. Uh, how many new players Fifth Edition has, right? Because I don't think there's one thing anybody can point out to say, oh, that's why 5th edition is so popular and has brought in so many new players. Lord knows people are going to try. Right. People will try, but I'm just telling you, it can't be done. But you can look at components, and one of the components is art. And the art is really compelling. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah, agreed. And it's not shy. I mean, the, um, you know, the, the, the alchemy shop uh, shelves and whatnot, there's a head in a jar in that picture. <laughs> right. I, I mean, mean, they're not, they're not shy about how some of this stuff is like, not so pretty. Well, th- I mean, that's, that's classic um, from the original Frankenstein. Well, yeah. Uh, no, yeah of course. Yep. 
Um, so like, uh, there's a, there's a level in which you've like, well, you could have gone a little cooler if your alchemy shop didn't have at least one of those guys. <laughs> poor, poor Steve. Am I right? <laughs> Timmy identified one thing too many. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> poor Timmy. <laughs> We we decided to just call him Thomas now. <laughs> Mr. Thomas. <laughs> um, so sentient items. Yeah. So this is very much a, a throwback to um, the sentient items of, of Third Ed in what happens and and how and why. Like, I'm a little sorry that sentient magic items have alignment because I don't I don't know about all that business, but. Uh, yeah, like the special purpose stuff, um, and just the idea that you could create a template to build sentient magic items on. Like the concordance rules of fourth edition are not a template, right? They're a rule structure, but all the different sentient magic items are so different in what goes on that it doesn't feel like a template. This is much more of one with you know special purpose. Um, and mm-hmm. characteristics and conflict and right. so on. Communication and senses and all that. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't have quite the, the same, like, fill in the slots of uh, what this thing's special power is that you see in um, uh, first and second. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. Where, especially with artifacts, the text is encouraging you to write in the book about what that thing does in your campaign. Yeah. Because there are actual yeah. blanks on the page. Well, and t- to be honest, the the section that we just spoke about a few minutes ago with the four, like the quirks table and the history table and all that, yeah, like it, that they they provided that so that that it would be easier to make, uh, you know, a non generic weapon. Well, they should maybe call back to that in this section and say, hey, you know, your sentient item also needs a history and some quirks and something about it that makes it, you know, really sell. Right. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Like you can't just like throw, throw sentient items just, just in there willy nilly. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that the more devour soul effects that are going off your campaign, the better just get rid, get rid of that cast of characters. You weren't using them. <laughs> that's not, that's not how I do things. It's just, it's a joke. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have a lot I actually feel like I need to get into about this that we didn't already discuss in quite extensive depth. Um, You know, I I like that items are allowed to be cool and weird and do weird stuff um, that isn't necessarily um, bigger bonuses in every strike. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Like, I like Whelm's Shockwave kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's classy. It you know, makes me think of playing Hades and anything that makes me think of playing Hades these days is good uh, because that game <laughs> yeah. is one of the best ever made. And, and I'll stand by that. Um, so, yeah, I think I'm ready to move to artifacts if y'all are. Sure. Uh, so, so I'm glad you like tab- tables of minor beneficial properties because I've got a table of minor beneficial properties to sell you uh, <laughs> along with major beneficial properties and detriments. So oh, many I detriments. Love the, I love the detriments. There are some good yeah. ones. <laughs> they're, they're great and horrible. And um, some of these you're only going to discover 
and like, well, I guess I know what that does now. Oops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, for example, this artifact imprisons a death slot. Each time that you use one of the <laughs> so artifact's funny. properties as an action, the slot has a 10% chance of escaping, whereupon it appears 15 feet from you and attacks you. Happy well, birthday. <laughs> well, I love that like, one. That's definitely a screw job, but just like uh, the first time you touch a gem or piece of jewelry while attuned to this artifact, the value of the gem or jewelry is reduced by half. <laughs> this only happens one. one time. It has nothing. It does nothing to you aside from I discover it. Well, <laughs> Dave, your character just then from now on is like completely afraid of touching gems. Like, like they maybe. have this weird complex. <laughs> like oh my god! Like you give that to like you know a set of like rogues gloves. Um. <laughs> Well, okay, but here's the thing, right? As you pointed out earlier, there's no appraisal. So how do you know that it lost its value? <laughs> well, right? Uh, yeah, no, I'm kidding. But well, that's it's ju- kind just, of fun you, to think of the anti Midas, right? Like oh, you, you walk up to Buckingham Palace, you hand it to Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> hey, I'm doing this. Oh, sorry about the crown jewels. Suck it. Uh, the world economy plummets. You know, whatever. It's fine. We weren't using it. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yep. Um, how about the destroying artifacts information? Uh, I lo- so this is just about um, copy-pasted from um, at least second, maybe also third. Mm-hmm. And that means I'm for it. It's great. <laughs> um, like, you have to do some weird, wacky crap to destroy it. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I could write pages of weird ways in which you would have to destroy an artifact because that that's like my favorite thing about it. Well, <laughs> about it I, like, yeah, it's yeah. like I, setting up these like crazy weird tasks. <laughs> yep. I mean, uh, maybe you've already done this, but if not, Sage, go release big books of artifacts on the DMs Guild and make money off these ideas. There you go. Like. Feel free. I, I I might be an editor who could help you with that. <laughs> well, and the thing is, if you also include a few paragraphs about how one might undertake a quest to destroy that item, you just sold a ton of adventure hooks. Accurate. Um, so we get into simple um, artifacts, and th- these are also things with a lot of D and D cachet, right? Mm-hmm. Um, your your book of exalted deeds and book of wild darkness. Book of wild they- darkness. Which they straight up published as rule books in third. That was weird. Mm-hmm. That was a thing they did. Um, <laughs> that was a thing they did. Indeed. It, it even it even had a a disclaimer on the front of it. A warning. Yep. Mm-hmm. Got a got a, a beat the satanic panic to the punch, man. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, you know, a lot of these uh, are also just straight from the original, you know, I mean, the Wand of Orcus is in here, the Sword of Kos, the Orbs of Dragonkind, the Hand yep. and Eye of Vecna, you know, Exalted Deeds, Vile Darkness, uh, even the Axe of the Dwarvish Lords, all of that is from very early D&D lore. I mean, where's my invulnerable coat of armed? Come on. Yeah, I don't know, because that's straight from, you know, 1975. So yeah, yeah. I, I don't know why it's not in here. Yeah, uh, but these are these are fine. Great. I have actually nothing to offer on them, though. I think it's weird that they still include randomized properties that are 
not determined in the text. That's that's weird to me. That I think that's very weird as well. There's still something left I mean, variable about like the sort of cost as an item. Right, that's a callback, though, right? Because no, it is. If, if it you, is. You I know, agree. If you look at the sort of cost, uh, you know, in in the in its initial publication in the in the Eldritch Wizardry book, right? Um, you, that's exactly what you get. You, you you suggested powers, and then it tells you the four tables you should roll on, and or you should look at, and you know, and then plus the normal die rolls for powers of swords, right? Like it's. It, it, it's a callback. It's a total. It's a total callback. Yep. Um, but uh, the, I'm not actually complaining about it. It's just it just feels weird, and that's that's fine. Weird is fine. Um, but that brings me to other rewards. The, previously unadvertised in this section. <laughs> Did you get as, to the back as of this were the sentient items and the artifacts? <laughs> well, sure. Those at least can be slotted into. You know, magic items. Sure. These aren't even magic items. Uh, these are supernatural gifts, um, <laughs> such as blessings and charms. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I want to say about these is that I am happy beyond measure to see D&D start leaning into uh, charms as ways to handle uh, sort of rules issues that are annoying to solve other ways. Um, like, mm. how does how does this immortal being reward you? Well, a magic item feels weird because then I'm going to outgrow it. How about a supernatural charm? It doesn't take up a slot. Congratulations. That's great. And there's, there's a particular supernatural charm for being a hollow one in the Wildmount book. Um, mm. And then... Oh, yeah. I feel like there are some supernatural charms. Well, the the Tomb of the Nine Gods in Tomb of Annihilation is yep. fundamentally a bunch yep. of supernatural charms. I don't know if they're, <laughs> right. yeah. they're labeled as such, but that's what they are. And that's great. But yeah, I, I, I love these. Yeah, I feel like charms and blessings get under you. Yep. Oh, totally. I would love to see more of that. Like when I wrote Fae Gifts and Blessings, I wrote a bunch more because none of these are quite Fae enough, so... Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that they did was they they have Chewingas in uh, in Tomb of, of Annihilation and also in Rime of the Frostmaiden, and Chewingas give charms. Yeah, uh, and when they get to diabolical deals in Avernus, it's all supernatural charms. Uh, so those are just wonderful because like ways for warlock patrons to reward them above and beyond. I guess you keep getting your class features now. Right, is a really useful thing in the narrative, mm-hmm. and ways for the patron to reward your party members since you aren't who aren't getting warlock class features, also useful. Right. So it's great. Well, and also a thing. It's a thing that sets apart that PC from every other person of that class. Yep. Right in in the game setting. Right. Whether you play a setting uh, where there's more than one party of adventurers or not, having a supernatural blessing, right, or or a charm is going to set them apart from the rest of humanity, from the rest of the civilized races in that in that place, wherever that setting is, which sure. is pretty awesome. Yep. And and you might say, well, if I had the axe of the dwarvish lords, that would also do that. Yes, that's true, but that's an item, right? Yeah. It's an artifact. It's yeah. it's a thing you hold in your hand. Yeah, right? you can literally set it down. Yeah, it, it takes right. up an attunement right. slot. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
Um, but yeah, so no, I, I also like uh, charms and, and blessings. Although admittedly, I don't use them as much as I should. I, I, think we're, I think we're all in that boat, to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think everyone's in that boat, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Yep, yep, high five. Yep. Um, <laughs> and, and so the, like the, those are great. Marks of prestige are marks of prestige are really nice. Um, it's it's a little rough because they've done such a good job of giving clear like rule side benefit that you, where you will think, oh, I get to use this thing now. That calls back to the story in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, in everything up to this point, and right. these are th- th- they're story for story. And that's mm-hmm. good in its way. It's just, um, it does feel, it, it feels less. And I don't yeah. like that. I don't like that it feels less. Right. Like, it, for example, it, it has to be, for example, a parcel of land, right? The last paragraph in the parcel of land section says, parcels of land make fine rewards for adventurers who are looking for a place to settle or who have family or some kind of personal investment in the region where the land is located. Okay. Yay. Are we waving a flag? Like, the thing is that in order to make that a really good reward, it's a major story point, right? And it's not something that's actionable unless it's actually a major story point. Whereas having the charm of heroism or the uh, blessing of health, you don't have to worry about whether now you're required to build a stronghold to maintain your blessing of health, right? Right. Like you, For you sure. just have that item. You just have that blessing, and it's it's part of the fantasticness of your reward for doing something truly awesome in right. the eyes of whoever awarded it to you. Whereas the parcel of land is, um, it's an obligation, right? Right, and, and this very much circles back to our conversation with Teos last week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yep. Especially once you get into special rights, strongholds, titles, like mm-hmm. those are wonderful. They're so cool. I could really use a little more guidance on what what kinds of special rights there really are. And like that that's basically a trip to the library to get into what kinds of special privileges the the monarchs of Europe handed out. Mm-hmm. Um or, or like frankly I know even less about other cultures that have medieval periods. But you get my point, right? right? Or um, it requires the DM to produce that information as lore for their setting. For sure. Well, I assume that you're going to the library as inspiration for producing it in, your, in the lore of your setting. Yeah. Right. To, yeah, to yeah, think yeah, about, yeah. here's how a society can work because it did work that way. Right. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like we're going to write a book where we take all of these underexplored <laughs> topics in the DMG and just mm. write more about them, and it'll be the DMG too. <laughs> I mean, right? I, I mean, uh, Colin and Rabbit looked at me funny when I said that a couple chapters ago. So, uh, Sage, I guess we're new best friends. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it, in every chapter, Sage, that we talk about, we get to the point where we say, oh, you know, they expanded upon this in Xanathar's or in Tasha's or, oh, they had rules for that that were more extensive in whatever book. And then there's yep. the parts where, hmm, that needs more exploration. We need to really th- – there needs to be a supplement that, that explores that more and, and spells it out a little bit more because they haven't gotten yeah. to it in whatever the next book of everything is going to be, right? And, and this freaking training section, it, it kills me, right? <laughs> and, and by that, yeah. I mean it's actually great. Um, mm. Just I am pretty sure, 95% sure, I – my eyes skipped over that section every previous time I've come across this page, you know, <laughs> b- both times before. Um, but it's something I've been wanting. It's rules for training as treasure. It goes back to like the Grandmaster uh, boons from the DMG2 and 4E mm-hmm. right? Th- that we loved and raved about so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so gains inspiration daily at dawn for 1d4 plus six days. Boo! This is bad. No, don't do it. Well, this is the same thing I said in the last chapter, right? Where they talk about that in the training section. And it's like, okay, so for your downtime, you're going to force me to start using inspiration when I forget every other time I've ever run a game of it. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But then the character gains proficiency in a skill. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Character gains a feat. Great. Awesome. Okay. I need one more rule. I need one more rule. I need there to be basically a, a special kind of attunement slot for you can only actually have one special training thing active at a time. You switch right. between them as part of a long rest as you think about your time when you did that other cool thing and focus on that for a while. Just I don't necessarily want to give out uh, training as treasure on three separate occasions and now the character like has all of those things together. That's kind of bad actually. Right, especially right. feats when you only get them, you know, every right. four levels. That can right. be really powerful. Right. Well, and right. and feats are boss AF on on a bad day, uh, as long as you're not taking um, maybe grappler. Sorry, grappler. Um, <laughs> Rude. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Fred, where's the lie? <laughs> Did I lie? That's all I'm saying. No um, lies detected. Yeah. But like, this is great and just I wish it weren't hidden from yeah. me. Well, you know, so here's the thing, though. A training is such a – oh, boy. I mean, do you make your PCs train out for every level? So, so no. Powers? I'm not talking about training as no, no, in- I, no, no, I know, I know, I know. I know you're not talking about that, but here's my point. When, when people hear the word training, and even when you look at the downtime section where it talks about training, right? It is talking about that. So this using the same term makes it, it's probably the reason why you just skipped over this section the previous times you read this chapter, because- if that is immediately what's evoked in your brain, oh. you're thinking, well, I don't do that No, as uh, part of my game. I actually know what happened. Uh, the positioning of the Alternatives to Epic Boons sidebar uh, then made me jump to Epic Boons on the oh, next page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. One thousand, yeah. I do the exact just, same thing. Just lacuna in my brain all the way down. But in any case, so so that, that's a good point, yeah. But so here's the thing about training. Training means something different in first edition – Mm-hmm. Right. 
Yep. And it means something different to me because I played that edition, right? And and in basic, it means something different. And it's a it's an optional rule in second ed that calls back to first, and it's dead in the water yeah, in right. uh, third, and it's a, a weird right. kind of magic. And, item and, in and in fourth, it's like okay, well, you realized you couldn't use this power, to, uh, so you're going to switch that one out, right? Um, and you're going to get this other power because you you just turned out you didn't use that one as you you weren't in that situation where that one was effective as often as you thought, so now you're getting a chance to do something else, right? Yeah. Um, and so, like, but so, so anyway, my whole point is, uh, this can use a lot of expansion, but I wish they would call it something else, right? Mentoring mm. or sure apprenticeship, right? Apprenticeship, like it's too, um, it, it's too connected to the downtime training to to right. level up, right? No, I, I think that's legit. I think, that's, I think that's legit. I, I, I will say, though, that the downtime training is so close to being like uh, a null, other than I guess I want to learn a language or a tool proficiency, that I, re- I wish this were in that were stored there so mm-hmm. that it, were telling the, it was telling the player how to go out and get that thing as a story goal. Right. Because, mm-hmm. like... These these two blended together are actually where the the alchemy happens, right? right. Yeah. No, I, I'll agree with that. So, epic boons. Uh, if I can jump on ahead, because absolutely, please. Do. Oh yeah. The hours later than you imagine. Um, <laughs> so so uh, if this is a really short section overall, but um, it it is kind of. Supernatural charms cranked up. It's kind of training cranked up. It's really just we're never going to release an epic level handbook, and we need you to be cool with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. When we say never, really? we mean never. And so, on one hand, it's weird this is even here because we all know that twentieth level play doesn't happen. Yes, it's virtually non-existent. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's it's a major topic of conversation on the bird site that it doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yep. My last campaign, they they went from, uh, I think, f- uh, they went from like thirteenth level to fifteenth to twentieth. Nice. Because I needed to wrap it up, but I wanted them to have twentieth level. But the problem with that is that you you run into so. Uh, they get like one session, one or two sessions at each level, right? Like, and and so that means that they they don't really get to utilize everything they would have gotten at 16, 17, 18, 19, right? They just suddenly are popped into 20th level realm and boom, Woo. right? And that's hard. Yep. Yeah. But this is, this, uh, when I first saw this, the very first thing I thought of was alternate advancement from EverQuest. Um, I don't know if either of you played EverQuest, uh, and I didn't play in alternate advancement. It was just the game's designers saying, "Who oh boy, we sure ha- are having a hard time making, like, uh, grinding interesting once you hit the level cap. We need to solve that. And so they introduced this alternate system for, well, you still want to earn XP. There's still cool stuff to get. And that's what this is. This is every 
what is it? Every 30,000 XP uh, yep. past uh, 355k, you get a new epic boon. And honestly, that's sort of uh, fine. It's not going to come up much, but it's fine. So it's only available to 20th level. And here's here's my conception of it as, as I look at some of these uh, with fresh eyes again. Um, this is... You want to be the most all-star skill monkey ever. You're 20th yeah. level rogue. We're going to give you the boon of skill proficiency. Boom. You're, you are proficient in all skills, right? Sure. You want to be the best, uh, most hefty tank ever. Boom. We give you the boon of fortitude. Your max HP goes up by 40. Sure. Right? So lame. You want to be the, the, the luckiest bastard ever. Boom. We give you the boon of luck. You add a D10 to roll any ability check, attack roll, or saving throw. Once per short rest. Once per short rest. And so the boon of luck is actually funny because that's kind of trivial compared to some subclass features that are getting handed out these days. Mm-hmm. Oh, for real? Well, but then, but so those are, those are three examples, but then there's boon of planar travel and boon of true sight and boon of undetectability. I mean, some of these are like, holy and some yeah. of them are like, eh, okay. They're, they're bananas. Yeah. Uh, boon of perfect health. That's, that's a paladin class feature, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, also, a monk class feature at some point. A- anyway, that's fine. But as you said, you know the the thing is like um, it's uh, it's it, it, it's a way just to keep awarding things. If you you know, here's my favorite though, boon of irresistible offense. And the reason that I that I it's my favorite is it makes it seem like it suddenly becomes irresistible to you to just say that offends everybody <laughs> that's exactly i was I, before having i to me i was like that sounds like some hard <laughs> <laughs> exactly it's like it's like vicious mockery times a thousand right yeah <laughs> exactly well, yeah, yeah like like my response to this is definitely okay look you little <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> Oh, well, that's not what at all I thought that boon would be. (laughs) (laughs) Not in the least. (laughs) So here's a a thing you can actually, so these boons, like that one, that one actually, just for the audience, uh, lets you bypass the damage resistance of any creature. Um, I actually have a scroll in my homebrew setting that basically does that. It's called the Scroll of Vile Undoing. Ooh. And it, it basically lets you, you can target something uh, and uh, it lets you basically ignore their resistance. That way, if you figure out there's there's something that you cannot defeat because mm-hmm. of its resistance, you can actually wipe that away for a moment. Nice. I love that as like a cool one-time consumable effect. That's I'm 1000% stealing that. <laughs> And so that's sort of where, I, so where I'm going with that is these things are sort of inspiration, right? Like inspiration yep. for sort of maybe one time, not now at 20th level, the way they're doing it. Yes, I get why you would get this all the time. But like, if you want to give the party something that can be used once, right, that might blow their socks off at a lower level because they get to use mm-hmm. it once, right? That this is some inspiration for that. Yeah, that's definitely. That's, I'm definitely going to be looking at this now and be thinking about that because I think, uh, you know, it's not just 
spell scrolls, but scrolls I could do just really absurd things mm-hmm. one time. <laughs> right, right. And there's something, you know, the thing is that, like, the problem is you get the wizard who says, I want to write it in my spell book, you know, and mm-hmm. there has to be a reason why you can't do that, right? Yes, yes, Sam, it's not a spell scroll. That's right, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly right. I got you, buddy. Yes, I know, see? And that that leads us out of this chapter, which, yeah. and also out, it finishes up part two. So, wow, final thoughts? Uh, so the chapter's a lot of fun, mm-hmm. because, again, it's full of fat loot. Right. <laughs> and like, the, the kinds of things we want more of, the kinds of things we wanted more of every single time. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. And that's fine. Um, it's okay that we want more of it every single time. Um, certainly this, to me, is the highest functioning chapter of of even the high functioning chapters in this book. The, the things you want more of are, are wants and not needs for the most part. Mm-hmm. The chapter does basically work. There's some weirdness in the organization at times. Yeah. Maybe you don't know how you can fail, fail to cast a spell from a scroll until 40 pages later. <laughs> right. But by God, it's in there. But yeah, that's that's my take. Um, strongest chapter in the book, and not just because it's the one you definitely need to reference. <laughs> Sage? No, I definitely, for me, um, because I love, uh, in the games that I run, I love designing magic items for my players um, and, you know, giving out these these precious little gifts to my players. So always, I mean, it's definitely, it's, so this chapter is, is absolutely the chapter that I have referenced uh, the most. And so, um, yeah, this chapter, it, this chapter could use a lot of expansion to add a lot of, like, flavor and lore and show examples of how things can be done to um, dungeon masters but i think there is just so much great material uh, in this chapter and like the way it's really interesting in the way that there are all the little rules that are sparsed throughout that if if you're not paying careful attention you may not realize that that's actually a rule um (laughs) which is you know (laughs) Yeah, it's a thing, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've seen, like, on Facebook or on Reddit or something, or, or even on 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 Twitter. You know, someone will say something. Oh, you know, I can't believe there's no. Can we get a ruling on this? And somebody will say, Yeah, look on page two, whatever of the you know Dungeon Master's Guide. It's like, Oh yeah, it's right mm-hmm. there. Oh, I read that section. Oh yeah, look right there. It is. You know, there's so many times I see that. Yep. And it's not because the people aren't actually, I mean, sometimes it is that the people aren't actually looking at that book and reading it, as Dan Dillon says, right? Nobody reads the 5e DMG, but, uh, the, but some people do. And even if you read it, sometimes the little nugget of rules content that you're actually looking for is hidden away in a spot where you just, for whatever reason, your eyes don't see it, partly because of maybe somehow they have like that sidebar epic boon thing that, that, that Brandis was talking yeah. about earlier, you know, like sometimes the the way a page is laid out inadvertently causes you to miss something, or you're looking for something so hard you accidentally accidentally pass over it, right? Mm-hmm. And so yeah. then when everybody on Twitter says, "No, it's on page two eighty two or whatever," and you're like, "Oh crap, I just looked at that. How did I not see that?" You know. Uh, my final thought is this: I find it very interesting that uh, we are characterizing this as one of the. Uh, best chapters in the book because it's the one that gets utilized the most. And it's also the one that probably has the most direct callback to 
the mo- earliest editions. Uh, yeah, and yeah, yeah. and and it's not an accident that that is like that. And I think that that says something, or or maybe it tells you something about the fun parts of the game. In that, even you know, back in the mid seventies, when the when the creators and and the first players and the playtesters or whatever they didn't even call them playtesters back then, but you know, when all of those people were sort of putting all this stuff together. And I say all those people because I know we always give Gygax and Arneson credit and all that, but they weren't just sitting in a room by themselves, right? They were oh, yeah, for sure. playing with people and they were having conversations with people and they were they were doing all these all these interactions, right? And yes, they're the ones that wrote it down, okay? But but there was a lot going on and there were a lot of people involved in ha- getting this thing going. And when all of that was happening, you know, when the conception of the deck of many things was laid down on paper or when the history of Vecna and Kass was put down on paper, like those things still vibrate through the D and D that we know this 40 something years later. And that is absolutely amazing to me and fantastic and fascinating. And, and here we are closing out this chapter with an overall thought that says, this is the most accessed, most useful chapter in the book so far. Now, I have heard criticisms of the book that say uh, if this information were all stored in the player's handbook the way it was in 4th edition, no one would use the DMG at all. And there's some truth to that, but I'm so grateful that it's not in the player's handbook. Uh, I I have enough like, old school in my veins that I, I don't want players to see uh, magic items as a shopping list or a right rather than a privilege. <laughs> oh, mm. I should never be in a game of yours. <laughs> That's honestly very possible. It's not that I'm stingy with magic items. So, so Sage, it's not that I'm stingy with magic items, right? Uh, like my players have tons of magic items. It's that I don't want them to go shopping and make up their own minds about what they're going to get. I want them to find the thing. It's going to be a little different than what's in the book. It's going to be my idea of what's a cool item because, like you, I make a ton of magic items. Mm-hmm. I write just enormous numbers of magic items. And so like, I don't want to face a lot of, oh, but what I actually wanted was like a cloak of protection instead. Right. Yeah, the danger is if a player gets their heart set on something and then they don't get the thing that they had their heart set on, they're disappointed, even if the item that they actually got is totally awesome and 100 times better, right? Right. That's that's rough. That's a hard position to be in. I I, I feel that. It, it doesn't do the one thing I wanted from that other item, even though it's better in all these other ways. Well, that's that having a moment of disappointment in your treasure-receiving loop yeah. is – Real bad for the game. Yeah, because the, as soon as you squash the dopamine, eh, you just right. You just broke a part of the game for that. Yeah, right. Um, th- that's that's where I am on that. So you started this with you said you heard people say that if if this chapter was actually in the player's handbook, nobody would read the other chapters. Right. You wouldn't need the DMG at all. Was the assertion. I mean, so the thing, but so then, so this brings us back to the question that I have asked for every, every other chapter, right? Right. That I did not actually ask this chapter. And that is who's the audience for this chapter, right? 
the audience for this chapter, of course, is the is the DM, right? Right. Um, also, but, very much the players. <laughs> well, the uh, so actionably, it is for the DM. For interest and excitingness, it's for the players, right? Like, I'm not right. saying players shouldn't read it. I, 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 that's that's an old school thing that I don't actually ascribe to at this point. Because right. I mean, look, if if you're playing the game, you should be reading the rules. But anyway, um, right. that's a different topic. If, but I guess my point is, the answer perhaps is different for this chapter when you ask who's this chapter for it's for everybody right like as we just demonstrated it's for everybody Mm -hmm. the answer to the other chapters is hit and miss right sometimes it's well it's for new dms who aren't familiar with some of the tropes and this explains some of the tropes and or well it's for a dm who's experienced but needs to get some inspiration for building this part of their world or oh well this this chapter is for a dm with a lot of experience but who wants to bring something new to the game or you know Mm -hmm. so there's all these qualifiers about okay well, these are chapters for mostly for the DM and, but there's a range of skills that the DM might have. And so some DMs will want this chapter and some won't. And some DMs only ever run from published modules. They don't need the DMG at all because it's all right there, except for, for the magic items, right? So in that way, you know, I guess I could see where some people agree with that statement, Brandis, that you said you heard, but I don't particularly agree with that statement. Fair enough. Because I think it's a real loss if somebody, even if they only run published adventures, if they're not reading this, I mean, there are, so I'm, I'm on, so Mike Shea, Sly Flourish has a, a discord channel. And one of the channels that he set up was the Rhyme of the Frost Maiden spoilers channel. So the, all the people that are DMing that can go in and talk about different things. And there is such a wide range of DM skill and DM ability to uh, take the, the module as written and turn it into a game that is cohesive and useful for them and good for their players and a fun time and all that stuff. There's such a range of things that are talked about in that channel just based based on the published book. And for some of these people, they're only reading the published module that they're running. And I want to say to people out there listening to this podcast, if all you're ever doing is reading the published module, because that's what you're running, take a break and go back to your DMG and look through your DMG. You don't have to read every single word, but look through some of the chapters not just the magic item chapter that everybody finds indispensable, but some of the other <laughs> chapters too, right? Because that's why I think I think it's a misconception. In other words, here, here's my point. I think it's a misconception that only chapter seven is absolutely necessary and everything else isn't. I think that's a misconception because I think even if a DM is running a published module, they can still get something out of all the other chapters. Mm-hmm. Right yeah, on. I agree. All right. Well, I think, do I get the final word then? Is that the last word? Wow. I think so. (laughs) Hey, hey, look, if you need another half an hour of content, I have got you covered. (laughs) Uh, I think, I think we might want to close this one out. It's been, it's been a, it's been a good episode. And so uh, if, if we need to have a, if we need to have Sage come back uh, and, and talk about other things, I mean, we can probably set that up at a later date. (laughs) Yeah, let's definitely leave that door open. I would be super happy to do so. Yeah, it has been a great pleasure to talk to you, Sage, and wonderful as always to get to chat with you, Sam. Of course, you as well. Sage, where can people find you on the internet? So on all of the social medias of your me- of your Instagrams and your Twitters, you can follow me at Staff of Sage. Um, and also, I have I am a showrunner and player on the Venture Maidens podcast, uh, where we stream pretty much uh, every Wednesday. 
and we actually just finished our first campaign and we're wrapping up in a couple weeks actually for the start of our campaign too and we've actually been pr- playing rhyme of the frostmaiden of our dm celeste was one of the writers for nice um and so yeah so you can follow us on the, the venture Maze twitch channel for see when we're whenever we're streaming um i'm actually just i'm finishing up a a horror campaign um, inspired by a module written by a cobalt press called Empire of the Ghouls, which is all about uh, what would happen if an if an entire nation of ghouls was like, hey, let's take over the surface world. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's a good one. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Brandis, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at Brandis Stoddard. I write for tribality.com. My personal blog is brandistoddard.com, and my Patreon is brandistoddard. And Sam? And you can find me at DM Samuel on Twitter, and I am uh, I, my blog is rpgmusings.com, and of course I am all over the Tome Show, where I run the D&D Brief uh, actual play stream. Uh, I don't actually stream it, it's actually a podcast. Uh, it just wrapped up, so uh, it, it, I released the podcast uh, a little bit later. It's, it's after, of course, we run the actual game, uh, but it's edited, and then we have discussions at the end of every session about uh, things that happen in the game and different rules, applications, and whatnot, uh, which is what Brandis was referring to earlier about sentient weapons. And um, I'm also on DM's Guild. If you look up Samuel Dillon, you'll find a couple of my products. Uh, one of them just went silver. So that's that's always a nice, nice. feeling to get Congrats. a silver bestseller. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I think I think that's it. I think we're going to round this out. Brandis, what do you have to say at the end here? Well, I want to say it is time and beyond time to end concentration camps in this country. Trans lives matter. Black lives matter. Stop Asian hate. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you are in a heavily impacted region or a lightly impacted region, you can still wear your mask when you go into a public place. You can still social distance. If you can get vaccinated, please get vaccinated. 